If you have your Bible, you can open it to 2 Corinthians 5. If you don't have a Bible, on the welcome table uh, behind you to your right are a bunch of, uh, bunch of Bibles. Feel free to uh, take one of those home with you as our gift to you if, uh, if you don't have one or if you, even if you do have one and don't have a, an ESV Bible. That's where I'll be preaching out of today and forever. Uh, also back there on that table are a few resources. Last week I talked about spiritual gifts and uh, we're walking through this series questioning the church and really just trying to determine our role as a church, not just our role as a church, but the church's role is in culture and in community and what, what God designed the church for. And one of those purposes and one of those uh, avenues is spiritual gifts. And when we become a Christian, Christ gives us gifts, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and uh, we're good stewards of those gifts, and we seek to pursue what it is that we have and what our gifts, our talents, our, uh, our abilities, and there's several different resources, three or four from different ones back there. There's a spiritual gifts test, uh, that's the folded up one back there, and there's also a couple of uh, documents that ask some questions and really define what the gifts are. So uh, if you didn't do that when you came in this morning, feel free to, uh, on your way out, grab uh, all those resources. We want to equip you to, to understand what your gifts are and, and how to plug them in and use them uh, in the body. So uh, those resources are over there. But this morning we transition a little bit. Uh, there's several different transitions that happen in this series, and this is one of them this morning. We're going to begin to to seek what our actual roles are in the world, in the culture. Uh, as a church, as people within a church, what are we to be doing in the world? That's the, the question that we seek to answer this morning. So I'm going to take us to 2 Corinthians, and it's Paul here in 2 Corinthians giving us instruction, uh, giving the church instruction, the church in Corinth, about what it is to, to be and where it is to be and what it is to be doing. So I ask this question of us all this morning, how will you spend your life? I want to let that sink in. We, we use that phrase a lot, spending your life or spending something. But, but understand that we have been given a resource of our life. A lot of times we, 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 miss, we miss that. We, we think of our resources as, as money and how are we going to spend our money. We think of time as a resource. How are we going to spend our time? But our life is a resource in the kingdom of God. How are we going to spend our life? And that, that idea, that understanding... Uh, should paint the the way we we look at the the rest of this message this morning. How will you spend your life? There is a brokenness that's present in this world. There's a fall, and I'll talk about this a lot this morning. It extends everywhere. There's disease. There's pain. There's strife. There's death of everything. Everything dies. But that's not the way that God created the this this earth to be. We, we weren't created for things to, to die, to exhaust themselves, to, to exhaust on themselves. Uh, so there's capability of ex- exhaustion, things exhaust. All of this is present as a result of the fall, and God has sent his son Christ into the world to redeem, to reconcile this earth, to reconcile this planet, to reconcile this, this strife and this fall. And that's what this redemption is. So we can spend our life on self-pursuits, trying to please, trying to gratify ourselves, trying to, to get for ourselves, or we can spend our life being God's agent of redemption. We'll, we'll talk about the word ambassador, and I'll use the phrase agent of redemption uh, 
in the, the course of this message this morning, but, but ultimately I, I want to think about what it means to be an agent of redemption. God has brought this redeeming plan throughout the course of history to this world, and he has chosen us to be the agents to proclaim that message of redemption, and that's ultimately our call. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, before we read the scripture, uh, after that setup, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word that you've persevered to our hearts and to our lives. Uh, I, I pray now that you would free us from distraction, God, that you would just laser beam focus uh, our minds upon you and upon your word and upon your gospel. Father, we trust you and we trust that your word is real. We trust that your word is effective and we trust that your word is truth. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Um, this is uh, the ESV study Bible list, says this about this, this particular passage of Scripture. Paul offers one of the most extensive descriptions of new covenant ministry. And if we're going to think about what the church is and what the church is supposed to be, be doing, we have to come to this, this understanding. We have to go to Scripture to find what this new covenant, this, this new testament ministry is supposed to be about. And so Paul here is offering the most extensive description. If we want to find out what it is and what it's supposed to be about, let's read 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who might know, who might who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to look at one simple phrase that's there, for their sake. He died for their sake. I talked a little bit ago about the brokenness, the redemption that, that God has come to, to, to bring to this planet. There's strife, there's pain, there's disease, there's, there's death. Last night, I, I couldn't fall asleep for from, I went to bed a little before midnight, and I, it was like 3 in the morning before I finally went to sleep, and it was really difficult, and, and it was just frustrating. You ever been there where you, you can't sleep, and it's just, just frustrating? It's strife that's in my heart, and I know there's a, a big chunk of you that have, have been fighting sickness in the last couple of weeks, and that's, that's strife. That's disease that's present because of the fall. But Christ died not just to bring us into relationship with God. Christ died to bring this redemption, to restore this brokenness, to restore the order that he created, to restore the order that we were intended to live in. And so Christ's death and this kingdom that Christ came to build, this kingdom that, that Christ will ultimately restore fully and finally, we get to, 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 to get glimpses of here on this earth. And it's disease and death is gone. So Jesus here, when he says, for their sake died, he is talking about this life and life to the full. And I want to say this. Uh, Satan is a liar, and he wants you to be alone. He wants you to be in want. Say that again. Satan is a liar, and he wants you to be alone, and he wants you to be in want. Christ came to give us life. He came, he wants you to be filled. He wants you to be satisfied. You were intended to be in deep relationship, deep community with God and with man. And 
allow this, this understanding to, to paint this whole picture. When, when Satan came to the garden to tempt Adam and Eve, his intent was for Adam and Eve to be alone, to be separated from the community they were born and created to be in. And that he's a very real, very present enemy with very real and very present forces in this earth. And their purpose is to get you to be alone. And we, we run around this planet and there's, there's strife between even the closest of relationships. I got a lot of really close friends in this room. My wife and kids are back there. I have a daughter here. The, the, but there's strife even in the closest of relationships. And it's the result of the fall. And Christ's redemption, this message that, that is proclaimed to our hearts and we are to proclaim to the world, is that there is a redemption that's here and we experience it on a small level. But at some point, when God fully restores his kingdom, we will... Satan will no longer be lying to us. Satan will no longer have any power to make us be alone, even for a moment. Because we were created to be in deep community, in deep relationship, not just with God. So many times we, we think about this understanding of Christ died to bring us into relationship with God. That's absolutely true. But Christ also died to bring us into relationship with each other, to bring this communion, to partake of life together, to partake of each other's life. When we, later on, we're going to break this bread and dip it into the bowl and, and, and eat it. And this understanding is, we call this communion, so that we can partake of life with God. But we were created to partake of life with God and to partake of life with each other. And it's beautiful. And it's the message of redemption that Christ has come to share with us. Where it says here, for their sake died, that's it. The motivation of our ministry. So let's get to the the second half of of this set of verses. Verses 16 through 20. And look at this understanding of the ministry. The first thing is the, the proclamation of redemption is the message. Here is our ministry. Starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one According to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself to uh, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I want to stop and go back up to verse 16 and, and pull out just a, a few phrases that he talks about. First, the, the ministry that we are to have, regard no one according to the flesh. Here's the deal. Every person that you encounter this week has a soul. I want everybody to, to look up at me. Every person that you encountered this week has a soul. And that soul will spend eternity apart from God or with God. Everyone, according to, to, to 2 Corinthians here, we are to regard every soul that we encounter not according to the flesh. Understand this, the gospel applies to them as well as it does to you. And, and this is something that, that God has really been deeply convicting my heart about. 
Last night, we went to go see uh, a concert. Ario Speedwagon and Pat Benatar. It was fantastic, which is why my voice is a little bit rough this morning. I was singing kind of loud. Uh, but luckily, the music was louder, so people around me got to hear uh, them and not me. Uh, but as, as I was there, I went to, went, went to the bathroom with my wife and my, my daughter, and we're looking around, and, and I'm just amazed at just the, the people that are there. And, and, and as I sat there and actually made fun of, of, of people, I was, I was a few hours later, as I laid my head down on my pillow, I was just deeply convicted of that. I mean, there's some just, just people that, that I just really didn't want to connect with. But ultimately, that person has a soul. I regard them according to the flesh. And we have to be broken about that. I have to be broken about that. The gospel applies to the nastiest of people on this planet. The people that you don't want to walk in those doors and come to this church because you don't want to be near them. We have to regard no one according to the flesh. The gospel applies to them as well as it does to you. And when we fully understand and apply this and allow it to take root deep in our heart, deep in our heart and take root and begin to, to, to bud and, and fruit begins to come out of us when this takes deep root in our heart. Sin and preference have to not be a part of the equation anymore. Let me say that again. Sin and preference can't be a part of the equation anymore with how we deal and interact with people. Our sin, their sin, can't be a part of the equation. If you have this particular sin, I don't want to have anything to do with you. If you look this way, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Sin and preference are part of my fleshly equation when I size somebody up and decide whether or not I want to have a relationship with them. And that is wretched and sin and a result of the fall that I have to seek God to guide me in repentance of. And you do too. Sin and preference are part of the equation when we deal with people, when we decide whether or not we want to have a relationship with them. And when this verse breaks our heart and takes root deep in our heart, it's got to go away. And if we are to fulfill our role as a church, as North Church, if we are to fulfill our role as Christians, that has to take root deep in our souls. Skip to verse 18. There it says, we have been reconciled and have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled. We have had something happen to us, and now because of what has happened to us, we are now reconciled. We are now agents of this reconciliation. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Excuse me. This word ministry is the same word we talked about last week. It's diakonia. It's what we say of those who execute the commands of another. And I want to say, this is scripture. This is coming from God. We have been given a command by God to be agents of change, agents of reconciliation. This is not Rick talking. This is not a pastor talking. This is God talking to you. You have been given a command to go and proclaim this message. 
of reconciliation, this message of redemption, this message of, of restoration, the message that I spent that time talking about. We have a broken world. Strife comes in our relationship, but we were created to live in communion, community with deeply with each other and deeply with God. This is the message that we are given to proclaim. And this is the ministry that we have to go and proclaim this message of brokenness. Uh, this past week, I, I got a chance... Uh, Really random situation, like like three generations removed of a friend of mine. Somebody called me and asked me to do a wedding of theirs, and uh, I sat down and had lunch with with this prospective couple, and uh, uh, just walking through, hearing their stories, hearing their testimonies, hearing what's going on. Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, where they are spiritually, where they are with with, with Christ, and that's part of the, the plan that they were walking through. And uh, they are actually living together currently. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit, not a little bit, I'm a lot skeptical of that. And so I, I speak this to them. I'm, okay, I, I'm not really sure that it's, a, it's kind of a gray area about cohabitation, but it's a black and white area about uh, sexual immorality, and I believe that Scripture teaches very specifically that sex was designed for marriage and marriage alone, and so when you are engaging in the activity outside of marriage, you are committing a sin, and I'm telling you that I'm not going to marry you until if you promise me that you will not have sex anymore, and this girl said to me, I understand that. I, I, I spent like 15 minutes talking about all that it meant and, and all those things, but I don't want to get into it for the purposes of this message, but I do want to say this. She said to me, I understand what you're saying. That makes a whole lot of sense, and I really, really, really want the best for my marriage, and I really want the best for what's happening to us, and I I want to follow God's will for my life, but I want to tell you that I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive for you telling me what to do. What, what's, what's in my heart when, when somebody tells me what to do is instant rebellion. I want to say, no, you don't tell me what to do. And I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We are, are so caught up in the do's and the don'ts and somebody telling us what to do. Our, our fallen nature rebels against somebody giving us a command. And we want to run away from that. And so I said, I have a seven-year-old son. His, his name is Cooper. You guys all know that, but I'm, I'm saying this to her. I have a seven-year-old son whose name is Cooper, and he's just now really learned how to swim. He can swim without me being worried about it. If he's in water above his head, he can swim, and he's fine to get to the edge. And so about a month ago, he jumped off the diving board for the first time, and it was he just he couldn't stop talking about how great it was. He's probably even talked to some of you guys about how great it was to jump off the diving board. And then earlier this week, he jumped off the diving board and did a flip off of the diving board. And, and he just goes right over the edge just perfectly, and he loves it. It's, he can't wait to get back to the pool to jump off the diving board again. And I said this to him as, as we're, he's learned how to swim, and he's afraid to jump off the diving board. I'm like, Cooper, trust me, you're going to love it. It's going to be so fantastic. Once you finally do it one time, you're never going to want to stop doing it. You're going to wonder what you did before and how much time you wasted before not jumping off the diving board. But the first few times after he learned how to swim, he didn't want to jump off of the diving board because he didn't trust himself. He didn't trust the ability to get back to the edge. And so he never did it. And so now, as he's done it, he regrets that he didn't do it. You follow me? And I said, this is 
Christ here in front of you saying, this is the way to full, satisfied life, to live life to its complete, to live life to its fullest. But we instead get caught up in, I don't want to do it. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I don't believe that. I don't trust you completely. I'm not going to give myself over to you fully. And as a result, we rob ourselves of joy. We rob ourselves of true satisfaction. We rob ourselves of experiencing deep communion with each other and deep communion with God. We're Cooper on the diving board, on the edge of the diving board, and turn around and go back. And that's what I said to this girl, because he's like, I, I, I trust what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. But because you're telling me what to do, I'm not going to do it. And Christ isn't telling you what to do for some cosmic power trip. He's telling you what to do because this is the path to real joy. And I'll say it again. Satan is a liar. He wants you to be alone. He doesn't want you to experience full life. He doesn't want you to experience full satisfaction. And so he tells you, don't jump off that diving board. It's not going to be good. He's just trying to tell you what to do. No, he's not telling you what to do. He's telling you how to have real and full life. This is the message that Christ came and proclaimed to our hearts and lit us on fire and made us say yes to him. And now this is the message that we have been given charge by God to go and proclaim to this generation. Our message and our ministry. Reconciliation is, John Gill says, reconciliation is the restoration of the favor of God to sinners that repent. Let's say that again because it's beautiful. Reconciliation, this message, is the restoration of the favor of God for sinners who repent. Let's go to verse 19 and talk about ambassadors. Verse 19 says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador. We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? The definition of ambassador is on the screen. A a diplomatic official, and I'm going to define some words inside of the definition. A a diplomatic official. A diplomatic diplomatic is someone who's, who's come to bring the peace between nations. We come to bring peace between parties, between us and God, between us and man. That's what this ambassador means, a diplomatic, a peace-bringing official of the highest rank, sent by one sovereign, that is the one who's in complete control, one sovereign. We are to bring peace, sent by God, to another as its resident representative. Think about that phrase for a second, resident representative. This is what Christ is calling you. You are my ambassadors. You are my resident representatives. His reconciling, redeeming purpose on this earth is manifest in us. We are his resident representatives to bring the peace. We are called to bring this message of brokenness and redemption and reconciliation into this world as agents of God. I'm a, you guys, most of you know that I've a, 
kind of bivocational now doing some insurance stuff. And I'm technically an insurance agent. And what that means is I come to you. I, I look at Jeff's got a, a business. I come to Jeff and say, hey, man, give me the information for your business. I'm going to go back and talk to these companies and, and get you the, the best product and the best price and come back to you. And then when I come back and speak to Jeff, I'm speaking on behalf of the insurance company. And any promises that I make that if, if a fire happens to this part of your, your, your building, we're going to pay for it. I'm making a representation of that company. As, a, as an insurance agent. We are agents of God. We make representations of God by our action, by our life, and by this reconciliation and redemption that has happened inside of us. We go and we proclaim. So we look to Christ as our model. We follow the lead of Christ, this master plan that he has. So the last thing. Did you notice, by the way, the alliteration? I didn't say anything about that. The method, the ministry, the model. This is the first time ever that I've had three alliterations. You guys should be, like, go home and download this sermon and, like, never mind. The model, gospel-centered relationships. Looking at Christ, watching him have these gospel-centered relationships. Uh, Turn to, to flip over to to John chapter 4, about six or seven books uh, closer towards the Old Testament. You guys know where John is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, flip over there, and we're going to study. We've seen this message. We've seen this ministry, and now we're going to watch Christ model it just real quick. This is the story of the woman at the well, starting in verse 7 in John 4. A woman came from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into, away into the city to buy food, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. When I read this, my mind is taken back to that stinking bench at Riverport last night and how I condescended to to these people who are walking around around me. Christ had to send his disciples away because they were so hung up in preference and so hung up in sin that they wouldn't connect with individual people. Here, Christ is not supposed, he's a Jew, he's not supposed to have dealing with Sumerian people. They are, they are uh, just people that, that Jews are not supposed to connect with. And Christ here models for us the gospel-centered relationships have to cost us something. We can spend our lives pursuing ourself, pursuing our own wants and our own needs But here, Christ is showing us spending his life as an agent of of redemption, encountering and engaging someone that he's not supposed to encounter and engage by the culture's view. Go to verse 10. We'll see gospel-centered relationships point to the gospel. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus here, first costing, engaging in a relationship that cost him something, that cost him status, that cost him his life, and now engaging this relationship, having a gospel-centered relationship for the purpose of pointing her to the gospel. He's directing her attention to the gospel by saying, I can give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus, again, points to the gospel. And I want to I put in here parenthetically that so many times we engage relationships and we, we love having friends, but we never get to the point of pointing them to the gospel. If we would have had this, this conversation, if we would have been, been bold enough to engage somebody who was, uh, we weren't supposed to engage with, a lot of times we'll just, you know, we'll just sit and, and have a drink with this. She says, give me a drink. Okay, I'll give you a drink, and we'll sit and drink and, and enjoy each other. But Christ points them to the gospel. He uses these gospel-centered relationships to point to the gospel. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring welling up to eternal life. You see him pointing her to the gospel. Skip down to verse 21 and see gospel-centered relationships pointing to the redemption and restoration of the kingdom. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When he says the hour is coming, this is the restoration of this kingdom, the establishment of this kingdom. He's saying it's, there's going to come a time where this kingdom will be established. He's pointing her to this reconciliation, this re- restoration and redemption of the kingdom. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, they had I had an argument before about, well, you say in Jerusalem you're supposed to engage God, that's what the Jews thought and the Samaritans thought. We could engage him here on this mountain. And Jesus is saying, no, there's going to come a time where you can engage him anywhere. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, more language about the kingdom coming, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people who worship him. Uh, this is about this understanding of kingdom restoration. And then verse 24. Not only is Jesus, the gospel-centered relationships, pointing to redemption and restoration of the kingdom, but also to Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And this is when she uses this word Messiah, when we see this word Messiah here, this is the anointed one that's come to restore. That's what is, is being spoken when Messiah, when Christ is spoken. The anointed one that's come to restore. I know that the Messiah is coming. She doesn't know that it's Christ. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all this stuff. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Gospel-centered relationships bring restoration and bring redemption of the kingdom, but they also point to Christ as the Messiah. I want to leave with, with one last little illustration. Uh, Last night, as, as we were in the, the middle of, of that concert, the, we, we were singing, you know, Pat Benatar, Ariel Speedwagon, the, these, these songs, and uh, talking about, there, there's a song that Ariel Speedwagon does, and I'm blanking on it now, but it, it, 
you've, I, 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 I will love you no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. I'm, I'm encountered by your love. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful notion. He's singing about a girl who cheated on him. And he's saying, no matter what you do, I'm still going to love you. And as we were amidst 20,000 people last night, half of them lit, and singing with, with our people, with there's friends of, deep friends of ours and kind of fringe friends of ours that were part of this group that were there, and I'm singing this, and I'm, I'm, I'm convicted of, of what had just happened a few hours before, sitting there on that bench with, with these people that, that I condescended, that I thought was, I was better than them, and, and, and listening to this, this washed-up 80s rock star sing this song about, you've cheated on me, but I still love you. In the midst of, of that crazy, the smell of weed everywhere and spilled beer everywhere, in the midst of that, among my church body family, I'm, I'm convicted and worshiping to Ario Speedwagon, singing about how God looks upon us, adulterous cheaters. But we can't do anything to get out of his love. And we just rest in that. And I looked up at the, the, the night sky and raised my hands literally in worship and, and, and was baffled by the size and magnitude of this God and the size and magnitude of his love. And, and I, I say that illustration, one, to, to paint the picture of the, the message of redemption that's in our hearts, but two, to paint this picture that Christ is teaching here. There is no place that we are dis- specifically designed to worship. Worship happens everywhere when our eyes are open and looking for it. And I want to engage us and leave us with that thought as we enter in our time of response. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much of, for your, your gift to our lives, God. God, I thank you that that you sent your son while I was still a wretched sinner. And you continue to reign and shower your love, God, to this adulterer. God, I pray now that you would guide our thoughts and guide our actions and allow us to respond to you now in worship, Father. But more than that, to to respond and leave this place and go proclaiming this message, understanding that we are ambassadors and that you have given us this life. God, I'm reminded of your scripture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you've come to bring life to its full. And God, this is the message you've implanted in our hearts. This is the message you've allowed us to experience and, and just rest in, Father. And now, would you motivate us? Would you plant in us this ministry of reconciliation to go and proclaim that message to this world, God? Pointing them to you. Pointing them to you as Redeemer. Pointing them to you as Messiah. 
God, we trust you and we give our lives to you completely. It's in Christ's name. Amen.